Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. You look rejuvenated. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Man, I, I, I made it a point yesterday. I'm like, okay. You know, a lot of times there's motivation to do this, do that. I'm like, my motivation is to do as little as possible yesterday. And I'm like, I'm going to sleep as much as I possibly can. So I got two solid naps. Chantel comes home from yoga training at like 8.45, something like that, like late at night. Um, we are in bed by 9.30. I took a full Benadryl, woke up at 7. This is unheralded territory for me. This is a level of rest I am not used to. So uh, it was good, man, because it was uh, excellent. You know, it's crazy how quickly sleep or lack of sleep can just completely mess you up because it's like you can be feeling good. You feel good about your life. Everything's good. And like 48 hours later, if you've had like bad sleep, the darkness comes quickly. Yeah, it's a, tor- it's, an, it's a legit torture method, sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. It can, it can, uh, you'll start to, men- you'll start to mentally deteriorate for sure. Yeah, Crazy. yeah, it, it, it is definitely true. And uh, I don't know, I know that as you get older, there's, it's like a weird sort of conundrum because you, you definitely need more recovery. But I also find that like being older, I actually need less sleep too even though I just said getting all that sleep was good, but it's like, like when I was younger, man, if I didn't get a certain amount of sleep, like I just, I couldn't function. And now it's like, yeah, you know, if I get like seven, that's great. If I get like five hours of sleep, it's not great, but I'll be all right. Even like four, it's like, I can do this for a couple of days in a row and be fine. Um, I never could do that when I was younger. So getting older has its advantages. <laughs> because you know when when you uh what you lose in testosterone muscle mass vitality and attractiveness well your body doesn't have to work as hard because it's got less of that to maintain don't need as much rest some Bounce people out. would say that older people sleep less because they have less time that's probably true too yeah <laughs> the clock's ticking <laughs> yeah so you had a um an interesting topic that you had brought up i had written it down and then you had forgot it. And this is why we work well yeah. together. Because you come up with a good <laughs> idea. I remember the good idea. You forget the good idea. I remind you. <laughs> what we was are a good team. Yeah. yeah. So started a, a passion project, if you will. Something that I don't intend to make me any money. But it takes a lot of my time. But again... The return I get on that is that it's a passion project. It's something that's important to me. Yeah. And um, it's a little side deal called Know Your Exits, where I basically talk about how people should figure, you know, it's kind of like real estate. When you get into a deal, the more exits you have in a deal, even before you buy it, usually means that it's a better deal, right? Like if you can do multiple things to get out of the deal and profit from it, then it usually makes it a much more... um, enticing deal. And this idea of knowing your exits before you even get into a situation, 
uh, is an important one, not only in business, but I talk about, you know, in life, just about in anything you, you do. And so I wanted to start talking specifically to law enforcement and military people that really don't think about, they don't think they tactically, they think in terms of that, right? Like when they walk into these dangerous situations, they're looking for the exits, which was, which was the premise of the title. But when they think about like their own lives and their own careers, they don't think about that. There's basically one way in, one way out, right? They put themselves in what what we call in law enforcement and what we call in, um, I guess, well, what they call in the military, the fatal funnel, right? Where you're standing in a doorway. There's like one way in, one way out. <clears throat> and you don't really, and, and uh, they don't do that tactically, but they do that with their careers because the one way in is is to come in and the one way out is to, hopefully make it your 20 or 23 or whatever the stipulation is for you to receive your this pension. And and basically the channel know your exits is like, look, it'd be great if you make it to 23 years or 20 years or whatever it is. But what happens if you don't, right? Like life is so unpredictable. So you should, you should really know your exits. And so started the channel, got some good feedback and, and was getting good feedback. But then what I did is I started looking at other people that were kind of doing something similar, right? They were basically educating you on small business investing, real estate investing, um, learning how to you know manage your money, things, things of that nature. Uh, and that they were doing it towards a very different audience, but basically talking about the same topics. And I, as I started to look at them, I started to think to myself as I'm watching their their Instagram and their TikToks and their YouTube. I'm like, wow, their production is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Look at that camera that they have. Wow. That backdrop must have, you know, just, they must have taken like six months to put that backdrop together. That's, that's just phenomenal. Um, wow. The editing is great. Wow. It's just their, their, their content is so good. And at the end of it, I'm thinking to myself, there's a thousand people doing it in my opinion, a hundred times better than me, why even continue to do this when there's already so many good people doing it um, and I'm not really making any money from it, right? And I think that's a very, very valid point. And so I really, it really stuck with me, right? I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to my wife and I'm just going to be like, you know, we got a lot on our plates right now. We're starting a couple of different businesses right now. Um, it's taken a lot of time. Like I'm, I'm back in that funnel again, where it's just like, it's, I forgot how much work it is to start, to start a business. Um, you know, but I, I, I kind of put a a thing on, like, there's a group I'm a part of and I put like, you're supposed to have like a tagline. And my tagline was I start boring businesses when I get bored. Right. And that's kind of what happened. I like that. Um, (laughs) is that I have so much time on my hands. I'm, I'm doing the Carter where I'm, drinking my tea every day and I'm living my best life and I'm reading a ton of books and I, and I'm meditating. And then I get, and then after about a a couple months of that, I get really, really bored and and I'll start another business. So I was like, why don't we just, you know, we got a lot on our plate right now. And and it it really does take a lot of mental energy to, to really put these videos together because I don't want to put out garbage. I want to really think about the content that I'm delivering and put it in a way that it, it gets, um, People take take in the content, right? They they uh, yeah they take it in. Um, but before I had that conversation, I said, which is something I rarely do. I'm I'm a very uh, emotional guy, an impulsive guy. If I want to scrap something, I'll just delete yeah. everything yeah. like yeah. right then and there. Yep. Um, but I did it for whatever what reason. I, um, 
I thought about it a little bit more. And I, and I think the reason I did is because I really put an effort to starting it up to begin with. So before I scrapped it, I just wanted to make sure that I was 100% certain that I wanted to do that. And then I started to think to myself, you know, before I looked at those other channels, I was thinking, wow, I'm really doing a great job. I really feel good about what I'm doing. The feedback that I'm getting for some other people, it might not be a huge audience, but I'm, there's a few people that are getting back to me and it's really making a difference for them. And I really feel like I'm doing something important. And uh, I had no problem with how, every, you know, the production or anything was. I thought it was, I w- thought it was great. And that's why I wanted to do this topic because there are a lot of times in life that if you, you can always look at what other people are doing. And if you do that, I, I, I honestly believe you got to put your blinders on. You got to stay in your lane because if you start to measure yourself based off what other people are doing, you will almost quit every single time. And the reason why is undoubtedly there is always someone out there doing it better, right? There's always someone out there doing it better. So if you look at it from that perspective, you'll never do anything. I I wouldn't even start the businesses that I've started because there's someone out there doing it better. But then I went even deeper than that. And I started to think about the people that I was looking at that were so good that were actually discouraging me from moving forward with my content. And I started to think, well, where did they start? Right. I'm sure people and I hate to throw this name out here. Right. Because he's like the biggest name in the brand like right now. But like Joe Rogan. Right. Like I'm sure he when he started that he would look at other people's podcast and be like, wow, this guy is so good. He's really good at doing his interviews. He really holds a conversation. I wonder how he does all the research on these people. So that way he keeps everything interesting and moving forward. Um. So I think even those people, right, are looking at other people and can be like, man, there's people doing it better, but they didn't quit. They just kept going, which I think is the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is just to keep going because what happens when you keep going is you get better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What What do they always say? It's not who's best, it's who's left. I love that. And that's... Very true in martial arts. I mean, the most talented people I ever knew quit 20 plus years ago. They would have been the best whatever, but they weren't because they stopped. Um, Another quote they always sort of throw about is like, if you, the only way to guarantee failing at something is by quitting. So, um, and yeah, I agree with you. There is, there's a certain... Ignorance, ignorance is bliss. And people always say that as, as a pejorative, like a negative thing, like you, oh, you shouldn't be ignorant, because if you are, you're going to be happy. And it's like, I don't know, that sounds pretty good to me. Why not be happy? Because how much do you really need to know? You know what I mean? Because it's like, we do this all the time with news and things like that. Like, you know, you, you get all the latest news on social media and stuff like that. And now you get pissed off and blah, blah, blah. Versus if you just didn't know that news, you wouldn't be pissed off. And then when you're creating content, I mean, there's only so many ways to skin a cat. People are gonna give relatively similar advice a lot of the time. However, just like in jujitsu where we see there's a slew of instructors and everybody's got their own instructional, 
people tend to connect with certain people. And if you're doing something for law enforcement and you were in law enforcement, officers are going to trust you in a way that they're never going to trust somebody else who was never doing that. It doesn't matter if you got, you literally could give word for word the exact same advice, but they're going to connect with the person who's been through what they've been through because that's where the story starts. And if they, that's, that's, I think the most important thing is that people start connecting with somebody. And that is a, you know, when you look at it that way, especially if you've already got people connecting with you, it's like, well, now I'm doing it for something bigger than just me, which is how you got into law enforcement and a lot of other things anyway. It was the idea of service, the idea of something bigger than yourself. And it's not a bad idea to see what other people are doing in terms of ideas, or maybe there are like production tricks and stuff like that. But when you compare yourself to them, it's impossible in a lot of ways. And it's very tempting. We had talked about this with uh, jujitsu instructionals and stuff like that. And, and that was something that made me be the impulsive guy who I, I had not a ton of videos, but I had a lot of videos and stuff like that. And I pulled off everything. I deleted my um, Instagram. I deleted my YouTube channel. I deleted everything at the start of the year because I looked at all the stuff that was out there. And I'm like, you know, I can't do better than these guys are doing. And I didn't really have a purpose beyond that. If I were to ever do anything again, my purpose would be, you got to be born 1980 or before that. You're my audience. Anything else, go listen to somebody else. You know, like to me, it's like these are the, uh, the elder folk. That's who I'd be reaching to and it'd be specific for their needs and stuff like that. And if I ever decide to really devote that and, and, and open up a school for middle-aged and older and that's it, you can't be young to train here, sorry, go somewhere else type of thing, then I could see doing something because now it would have a specific purpose and, and I would have a clear audience in mind that I feel I can speak to when some of these other guys, they just haven't gotten there yet in life. So I don't think they can yet. Um, so I, what I liked about your project, Know Your Exits, number one, the name is outstanding. But number two, you always had a specific audience in mind. It was people that had come, that had worked for the government people that have worked for the state. And you understand the trap that a lot of guys get to where it's like, okay, I got to keep trying to promote till I get to a certain point, or I got to wait it out till I get my pension. And then I'll do what I want to do with my life. It was like putting your life off for a long period of time in a job that's kind of a dangerous job, a very stressful job, a job that has a very high divorce rate, has a high alcoholism rate, has a high rate of suicide of people dying when they finally do retire because of loss of purpose. And you knew those guys, you work with those guys. Maybe you were that guy to a certain degree, one way or the other at certain points. I don't think there's anybody else out there that really has that who's looking to help them in the way that you're helping them. So I'm glad, I'm hoping that this means you are not stopping. I'm hoping because... <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's what we concluded. The uh, everything's staying up, and we're going to continue to put one foot forward. Um, yeah, and 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 move along. Because uh, still very passionate, and and again, that's that's what really what it came down to was that you know I got to stop focusing on what everybody else is doing. Yes. Just focus on on what I'm doing, 
And and I think that's especially true, like you said, um, not especially, but it's very true in, in, in jiu-jitsu. I, I know people always go into class and they measure their level of success based off what other people are doing or what they're not able to do and such and such is able to do, right? Like you cannot go out there and want to be a professional golfer or be a, a hobbyist and then measure yourself against Tiger Woods. Or you cannot go into jiu-jitsu and measure yourself against Gordon Ryan, yeah. right? Because undoubtedly you will be very discouraged um, and you may even want to quit because you don't feel like you can get to the level of that success. But here's the thing that we've talked about before on the podcast is you don't have to get to that level of success to create something that is your own and to create something that is very fulfilling for you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause that, you think about it, the, the measuring stick should be yourself. And here's, here's, I'd throw it back to know your exits. You are doing those videos for the you of eight years ago before you'd had the blessing in the world of meeting me. So I guess eight and a half years ago, <laughs> I mean, nine years ago. And when you're in the midst of a, of a stressful, dangerous job and you're thinking, this is just going to be my life for the next 15 years or 20 years or whatever, that's who you're making it for. You're making it for the you of, of a few years ago because there's more of you out there. There's a lot of people that are in the situation you were in eight, nine years ago. And that's who that's for. So to me, it's like it is comparing if you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to who you were five, 10 years ago. And now look at it from any sort of point of view. I mean, if you're if you're doing jujitsu now and you're frustrated because there's people that are better, it's like, well, you're a hell of a lot better than you were when you started. And then even if you're not, because I mean, there is the reality when you get older, like there's a lot of stuff physically now that I cannot do that I could do 20 years ago. You know, weights I could lift and little things I could do. But I look at, there's a lot of things now that I could do that I couldn't do 20 years ago. And being an optimist, I just focus on those things. I don't worry about those stupid weight things. I'm like, I, I do this better, I do this better, I do this better. My mentality is better. My my outlook on things is better. My, my knowledge of this is better. Whatever it might be. Like that's, if you're going to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to who you were. Like that's the, because that's the only thing you can really do realistically. Otherwise, it's never an apples to apples comparison. It never is. I mean, I don't care if somebody's, you know, I guess unless you have a twin, maybe that's, maybe there's a twin exemption. But but other than that, I would say you compare yourself to yourself. And that's what I think you're doing with your, with, with Know Your Exits is that you are reaching out to people that were in the situation you were in. And through various circumstances, you were able to seek out guidance. You're one of the few people I've ever met that actually listens and implements the advice you get. There's so many people that ask for advice, but you were the only one I ever know who actually took the advice. So that's that's sort of a kudos to your own character. But even then, there wasn't anybody that was doing it for your situation. You were just able, malleable enough to go, okay, well, this is working for this guy. I could take this and, and plug this into my life. You're just taking a step further going like, okay, I'm exactly where you were. I was working crazy hours, doing all this crazy stuff when I did my first deal. And here's how I did it because that's going to, that gives you a, a level of credibility for that market that nobody else is going to have. So it's, it's sort of knowing 
I think that's one of the big things with all this is, is knowing your purpose and knowing who you're specifically reaching out to. Um, and as long as that is clear cut, then to me, it's like, unless it becomes an enormous stress or time suck or something where you just literally don't have the time anymore. To me, it's like, I think you got to just keep doing it. I say this because it doesn't cost any work for me other than watching the video and go, oh, that was good. Thumbs up. <laughs> no, and I had to take advice from, you know, just from the past experience of the jujitsu of life, right? Like, I mean, we could obviously look at so many other podcasts that do it much, much better. But here at the jujitsu of life, we just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep going forward. We don't care. And I, in fact, I, I don't think I don't think I watch or listen to any other podcast. I mean, I don't. There's not a podcast that I listen to or um, and to me, I don't even look too much at this. Like for me, this is not a podcast. To me, yeah. this is just what it started out as we would yeah. get together, talk about business, talk about jujitsu. Yeah. And it's just a conversation about that. And then we decided to record it. Yeah. I mean, because I, I do listen to some other jujitsu podcasts and there's most of them are just interviewing people. I mean, that's that's the majority of them are interviewing, quote unquote, famous jujitsu people. And to me, it's like, then that's cool. And that's something I have no desire to really do. I mean, we've interviewed people here and there, but um, I'm not like a jujitsu fanboy and you aren't either. It's like when people talk about jujitsu people, it's so weird to me because I guess because they're a lot of them are relatively new to jujitsu. And so they're so enthralled with all this stuff that they think that somebody who's good at jujitsu is somehow famous and relevant in the real world, which they're not at all. Because they're like, oh, jujitsu superstar. <laughs> I'm like, jujitsu superstar is like, that's like back in the 80s when people were doing like um, Hollywood squares and stuff like that. They were like C-list stars or whatever. The jujitsu guy wouldn't even get on that. I mean, like you would, it would, it would like jujitsu famous is not famous at all you're going to be like somebody on big brother or some sort of reality tv show is 10 times more famous than the most famous <laughs> jujitsu person it's nothing it's like a non it's such a niche niche sport that it's just funny to hear people all enthralled with that so they interview the person and, and blah 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 so to me it's like that's the main stuff that i hear in podcasts it's just interviewing and then there's a few that are conversational um, that I like, but they're very, uh, like Robert Drysdale's one with David Avalon is good, but they do one like every three months or something like that. And that to me is just good just cause those guys both fought pretty high level MMA. They compete in grappling at a pretty high level. And like, you know, they, they have a pretty impressive resume and they, they both are, I think, good instructors too. But, you know, I've listened around. I don't think there's a lot of people that do what we do. It's not for everybody. It's probably not for many people. Whatever. I mean, I, like to me, that doesn't matter, but um, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste. It's just most people <laughs> haven't acquired it yet. So, hey, um, did you watch the UFC fights? So I, I did. I didn't watch them. I, I sort of followed what happened. Mm -hmm. um, did, did you watch them? I no, I, I did not. Um, my son, though, was predicting uh, Usman to to win as he has done so many, many times. I was too. So, yeah. Yeah. I was too. So, um, and I think, I think most people were. So, you know, obviously, uh, wake up in the morning, having my coffee and I jump on my feed and, uh, I see the, you know, the crowd and the UFC just going nuts yep. over the fact that Usman got knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because they fought, um, 
almost seven years ago. I want to say it was December of 2015. So quite a long time ago. And it was a close fight back then. I mean, Usman out-wrestled Leon. Uh, I would say Leon outstruck Usman. Um, ultimately, Usman won the fight. But it wasn't a domination by any means. And as much as Usman was still relatively new and, you know, just figuring things out, he had already won the ultimate fighter. Um, he was smashing everybody else that he fought, but he had trouble with Leon. So I figured it was going to be a, a close fight because Leon's just not somebody that people put away. He's, he's a good fighter. He's super calm too. Like he's real, like just real poker face. Um, I did not, I, I thought he was going to lose. I mean, I, I, I was wrong in my prediction. But it's always interesting to see, you know, when people fight more than once, what happens? Because it's mm -hmm. like you, you always wonder, like, who takes more? Like, do you do you learn more from someone by winning or do you learn more by losing? Because it's like if you look at uh, Usman when he fought Jorge Masvidal, the first time it was a relatively close fight. I mean, Usman clearly won, but it wasn't. It depends, it, it depends how you win. I would yeah. say that. Yeah. It depends how you win. If, but the second time he won by, I mean, by knock, by starching Masvidal, like knocked him out cold and, and was doing better even before that, I think. So it's like, it's a weird thing where sometimes the winner gets more out of it. Sometimes the loser gets more out of it because I've had times where it's like, you know, I haven't fought obviously, but like, you know, I've had training sessions with people where I quote unquote won but I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen next time. Like I, I, like I gave them my best stuff and it worked because they hadn't seen it before. But I think I, I, I kind of one trick ponied them and, and trick number yeah, two. Yeah, and it's but, so different in a training environment because you never yeah. know. You, you don't know for sure. I mean, unless you train with a guy all the time, you don't know if yeah. he's giving you his best game. Yes. Right? yes. Um, and there's a lot of people that, that actually do that. They don't give you their best game and you feel like you're, yeah. you're, you're running through them. Yeah. Um, and they're saving that for something else. But yeah. I would say, you know, at the highest levels, it has to do with the, the mental uh, warfare. And so not all the time, right? Like, obviously, anybody can debate anything, and they will be able to produce examples of, like, a guy that got completely dominated and then was able to have a rematch and win. But I would say that's usually not the case. If you dominated someone the first time, then usually you've already got into their mind, right? Because you've dominated them. Now, where it can, where I say it makes a difference on depending on how you win. If the fight was close or even questionable, then it's it's a toss up. It's up yeah. in the air, you know. Um, and there is a good chance because it was such a close fight that the other guy who lost can make the adjustments necessary to take the win next time around. Which actually brings up well, there's a couple of things. One of the things is I wanted my son to. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to stay on topic. That's going to go off on a tangent, which brings up a good point. So um, you had Gordon Ryan and Felipe yeah. Pin uh, fight, right? Yeah. Uh, recently. And I think they had they had competed against each other twice before. Yeah. And uh, uh, Pino won both, both times, yep. uh, is my understanding. Um so you go into this uh, last one, uh, this last time they competed, and <clears throat> it appeared, I mean, obviously, yes, uh, <laughs> Pena, uh, you know, his, he, his spirit or will was, was broken after a certain uh, point. I, I believe it was Vince Lombardi that said that 
fatigue makes cowards out of men. It really does. Um, go into any striking uh, sparring session and, and you got a full tank of gas, you're going to, I mean, you know, going into several rounds into it and you're tired, you, your mindset completely shifts. It does. Um, if you don't have the experience and you haven't been there a, a, a lot of times. So I, that's true. And it can happen at the highest levels. It does happen at the highest levels. Um, but it, but there was that question, right? Like afterwards, Gordon said, well, I wasn't, I was just about to turn it up. Right. And I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I just don't I know. Agree. And here's the only way we're going to find out, in my opinion, the only way we're going to find out. So we're going into a different rule set with ADCC, right? Yeah. There is a time limit. Yeah. And the way we're going to find out is if they end up meeting each other in the finals, which is yeah. a very good possibility because I believe those are the two top guys, right? Um. And if Gordon is able to just run through him before the clock runs out yeah. and submit him, yeah. um, then, then I mean, there's just going to be yeah. no question, no yeah. question. Yeah. But it's super intriguing and interesting. And, I, and in actuality, you're right. There's no jujitsu famous, but in the jujitsu world, if this was like a pay-per-view event, yeah. man, just about everybody would probably pay to see it because they want to yeah. know the answer to this question, which is, which is basically how you hype a fight, how you build a fight. There's you don't know who what's going to happen, and so you you tune in to watch, yeah. um, and so that doubt is there, and that doubt is what's going to cause a lot of people to I think tune in and and see what happens. Well, because here's what it now, it was um, Roy Jones fought Tarver twice, right? Didn't they, huh. he fought? He won sort of a a close decision, then Tarver knocked him out in the rematch, right? Yes, and I think at Antonio Tarver just had. Roy Jones's number. That that's what I, okay. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I want to hone in on because I remember when Jones, he wasn't as good. He was not as good as Roy. Right. He didn't have the same sort of like stellar career no. that Roy had, but he just had Roy's number, no. man. No, he and he played the bad guy in the uh, Rocky Balboa movie too, uh, Mason, whatever his name. Is. So, um, but that's see that's the thing to hone in on because I remember when Roy won the fight it was very close and a lot of people were like eh, i don't think he won but then the excuse is well like he wasn't training hard he had just fought um at heavyweight and he was coming down and the weight loss and did it. there was all these excuses they're like oh but in the rematch bro and then he gets starched in the rematch literally and with with gordon and felipe pena Gordon kept saying, like, as soon as he feels my grips, he's going to know things have changed. Because when you lose to somebody when you're younger and, and you know, less experienced, and in, the, in Gordon's case, in the first match, he was quite a bit smaller than Felipe in that first match. Um, and you get sort of big brothered. Like, there's the idea of, like, I'm going to get him. And, you know, I'll just take our friend Jeff. Jeff has been big brothering me since I met Jeff. And Jeff is like four years older. So it's like literally in his entire life, he would be kicking my ass. And, you know, there's the idea. I remember when I went to California and I was training at like sort of a competition school. We were doing competition rounds all the time. Most of my training partners were competing and a lot. And I started doing better and better against those guys. So by the end, I mean, like I was doing pretty well against guys that were experienced competitors. So I remember coming back to Austin. I'm like, oh. It's time to show Big Brother who's grown up. And then I, I roll with Jeff, and I'm like, no, 
Like, it's, I'm never going to beat this guy. Like, because I'm literally, like, at that point, I was in the best jujitsu shape I've ever been in. But Jeff has everybody's number. Though. No, he does. He does. But, but I mean, the, the point the is. Right. It wasn't, a ma- it wasn't a matchup thing, or is yeah, it? You know, it's just he has everybody's number. He does. But I mean, it, it's just one of those things that there are people that are always going to have your number to a certain extent. Because I didn't see yeah. Gordon not trying. This idea of like, I was only going 20% or 30%. I feel like that's something you say to explain what you look at. And here's what I'll say to that, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. That's why ADCC is going to be so intriguing because yeah. if he does just run right through yeah. uh, Felipe, yeah. then, then you're going to know. It's not just you're going to know, you know, the, the fact that what, what is already true, right? Like, even if even like he beat Felipe, right? Like, that, I mean, that's it. So, he, I mean, yeah. he's the best. I mean, yeah. that, you know, there's no argument there. But... If he runs through him, you're going to know that he is so, like, light years ahead of everybody. And this is what I mean by that. There was a a movie, and I can't remember what it was. It was either The Hustler or The Color of Money. I can't remember which which one it was. But, you know, pool pool hustling, right? And The Hustler is basically talking about you got to be so good that it almost looks like you're losing. And that takes a whole nother level of skill. Yeah. So if he goes through ADCC and he runs through Felipe. That meant that this last fight that he had, he was just basically carrying Felipe. Yeah. That's what it would yeah. mean. Yeah. And that's what people, or at least that's what I want to find out. Is it true? Is yeah. he that good yeah. that he was able to carry someone like Felipe and, yeah. you know, make it go into the later rounds and make him actually, or... You know, was that just something he said, you know, where that he wasn't really, really trying? Yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, we are going to find that out because, I mean, the the analogy we've said before was when Floyd Mayweather boxed Conor McGregor. I asked you about that the next day and you're like, well, to me, it looked like Floyd was kind of carrying the fight in the first part. I think the first round Floyd didn't even throw a punch. Yeah, he was really pacing himself and just so it's like. But to me, it's like the difference is like by the eighth round, I mean, Floyd took him out. And it was like by the end of the round, it's like Connor's law. Okay, he didn't go down, but it's like he's done. Like he's clearly done. Um, I didn't get that same feeling with the Felipe match. I mean, because he wasn't tapping him out. He kind of had good position for a second, but that was basically it. And I felt, at least from my not rookie eyes i'm certainly not an elite level whatever but i've been doing this stuff for a long time i didn't see gordon having an easy time i saw him struggling i saw a lot of stuff that felipe do was doing that was shutting down what gordon normally does because to me it's like what we've seen is gordon just maul people and to me it's like if you could khabib somebody essentially in grappling like what khabib does in mma where he's he's not just winning the fight he's winning every round 10 8 he's not getting hit at all He's hitting the opponent over and over again, and the opponent knows exactly what he's going to do, and they can't stop it. That's what Gordon was doing to everybody. And then it's like, why wouldn't you just do that to Felipe? Because to me, that would be way more demoralizing than the other guy feeling like, well, I was doing well until I finally got tired, so now I'm going to train harder and do whatever, versus I couldn't do anything to that dude. Like, there's no amount of training, no amount of whatever. I'm screwed because then it's like, to me, that's getting in the guy's head way more. So if you could do that, I think you would do that. I just don't think he could. At that I, 
Yeah, I, mean, I, we'll I have a tend to agree with that. I have to tend to agree with that, right? Because, like, if you could pass, why wouldn't you just pass early on? Exactly. And then, look, here's the thing. Pass, and then if you really want to humiliate him, go back into his guard just yeah. so you can pass it again and pass it again. That's what he, that's what he just did to, uh, what's his name, like, a couple weeks before that. And it's like, that's humiliating what he did to that guy. It's like, that guy will never want to compete against him again because it's just, like, it's humiliating. Or what he did to Wagner Rocha where it's like, because he and Wagner had competed before. Wagner had beat him before when Gordon was real young. And then Gordon beat him in uh, EBI. And like that, they may have competed even a third time. And this was either the third or fourth time. And it was like, dude, it's not even close. Like, they're not even close to the same level anymore. But when I watched Gordon and Felipe, I'm like, Felipe is a tough matchup for him. Like, that, that was my conclusion. And it's like, you can be like, oh, I was just pacing myself. It's like, yeah, but what he was able to do, the things that he's able to do to entangle legs and slow things down and keep you on the bottom when you're trying to get up and do different things. It's like, that's, that's a tough matchup. And that's what I, that just brings me back to the Roy Jones and Tarver because it's like, people are like, Oh, he wasn't training. He was this, it was that. I was like, yeah, but that was a bad matchup for him. Like that just, it just stylistically was a bad matchup for him. And then when he was able to do all those things that he said he, he didn't do the first round, he got beat way worse. He got knocked out and he was losing the fight even before he got knocked out. So it's like, to me, it's like sometimes there's just stylistically bad matchups. In combat, there always is. There's always just bad matchups. And yeah, I think that Felipe is going to continue to be a bad matchup for Gordon. Um, you know, we'll see. Because you're right. If Gordon just starts him in ADCC, then it's like, all right, well, now, you know, he's clearly the best. Clearly, he was holding back or whatever. But I just don't think that in grappling, you would do it that way. Because yeah. there's too many, like, there's too many chances to start tiring yourself out to do this to do that it's like because it, you could tire the other guy out way more just by getting on top and putting weight on him now he's got to do all this effort to escape and you're right then you sort of put then you backtrack a few steps then you go there again and do whatever but to you know to take damage in the grappling sense it's like the idea of getting hit in boxing or whatever it's like you wouldn't do that like because it's too risky and it's too you're not dominating, you know, it's like, it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, but I think stylistically it's a bad matchup for him. I do too. I do too. I, I think Philippe is one of those guys that just will give him a hard time. I think so. But I say all that and to put things back into perspective, to show you how good Gordon is, is that we have to talk about Gordon in terms of now who has come close. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. that, if you come close to beating Gordon, yep. that's considered that's a, a win. victory. Yeah. That's considered a win. That yep. That's how you know when you are the best in the world is when yep. people have to talk about, oh, do you remember when I almost beat Gordon Ryan? Yep. That's yep. my claim to fame. Yep. Like, you know, that just, that just shows, you know, how, how good you are. But the, the, there's, there's some questions to see if, if, uh, yeah, I really do want to see what's going to happen at ADCC. Yeah. And I hope that they do match up. I can't remember. Did Felipe ever, I, Felipe did an outstanding job of, um, and I even actually have gone back to look at some of the, some of the, uh, the footage on it, on how he was retaining guard a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I thought it was super, I thought it was very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and there, and there's some things that he does, like just some little nuances with his, his shin that they didn't even really talk about. It's, it's almost like a, uh, a reverse knee shield almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
did he ever put Gordon in any compromising positions? Did he ever no. have him under a threat, like of no. attack? No, he he didn't, and that's that's that is definitely a good point. Um, he didn't. So, um, but I wouldn't say Gordon really. Gordon almost sort of took his back at one point and then didn't. And at the very end, Gordon got past his guard. And that's when Felipe was like, all right, I'm done. So, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. It was just from watching that, I was like, this is a much closer match. And, and, and almost to, it's always interesting to see how people deal with losses too. Or not losses, but when people have a tough match. Like, so an, an example I would use is when, um, you ever heard of Alexander Karelin? Karelin, the uh, he was a Russian Greco-Roman wrestler back in the uh, late '80s and, and '90s. He was in four Olympics in a row, um, three gold medals, and then the last Olympics he got a silver because there was a they had changed the rule and he he broke his grip on the guy and that was enough to give the other guy a point and the other guy won. But even before that, he had um, a close match with a guy named Matt Gafari, U.S. guy from the U.S. And Carolyn won, but but Carolyn was a guy who was 285 pounds who would do what's called the reverse lift. So the guy would basically be on all fours in the turtle, and Carolyn would be facing like the dude's butt's facing this way, Carolyn's face is facing this way, and he'd grab the guy around the waist and then pick him up all the way till the guy's feet are flailing and arms are flailing, and then arch back and throw him on his back. And this was this is a move that was done in Greco, but it was done like in the lightweights, like no one had ever done it in the super heavyweight. Like it was just, no one thought it was possible. And Karelin made this like his signature move to the point where he would start grabbing guys like this and guys would just turn over and pin themselves because they didn't want to get thrown. Um, so he was just annihilating people for years. I think he didn't have a point scored on him for like over 10 years, not one point. Wow. And then he beats Gafari, but it was real close. And like his comments afterwards, like, no, it wasn't close. He was never whatever. It was like sometimes when people are so dominant and there's somebody who gives them a close match, it's always interesting to see the ones who are like, yeah, that was pretty close. I need to do this, this, and this versus the ones who are like, no, it wasn't anything. Because then the next time Karellen lost, and and I'm always like, well, maybe that's, is that a self-defense mechanism to to keep the confident mindset of no one can beat me? And is that good? Or when someone legitimately does give you problems, because my, my real the real way you would know is if you were in the training room the Monday or Tuesday after that match with Felipe, was Gordon and Danaher, were they working those situations where he keeps getting your foot compromised, like he keeps getting you in 50-50, basically. How are we going to address this? Because the next time we need to be able to smash through this, he was able to stall, you'd have to restart, he'd get that thing again, he kept doing that. How do we address this? That would be interesting to see, like, because it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say a long time ago, lie to other people if it suits your purpose, but never lie to yourself. And so that's the thing. I was like, I, I felt like Gordon was saying this stuff because he wants to keep everyone thinking he's super cocky and super this and super that. But I feel like inside he had to be like, I got to address this because this guy gave me problems I, that nobody else has given me in the last few years. And if this was Abu Dhabi, he'd be able to stall me out the whole time. And now I've got a situation where I've got to beat him on points or whatever. And that's that's riskier. And, so. you know, that brings up a good point, because here is one thing. Here's an, an, another thing to argue in Gordon's favor would be that 
Um, Gordon is very familiar with those leg, leg entanglements. Yes. And never once did he try to submit him through any sort of leg lock submission. Well, but he, he did the first two matches, and that's how he lost both times. So Felipe has an interesting um, inside heel hook defense where he gets on all fours, builds up a base, turns to get his heel safe, and then turns back to take the back. And so he did in their first match, and he choked Gordon. And their second match, he did the same thing and got the back. He wasn't able to choke him in the second match. But Felipe, guys that are really good at rolling back takes and beer and bolos and stuff like that, once they learn the basics of heel hook defense, they become very dangerous to try and heel hook because the setup for the heel hook, If so if I'm trying to heel hook somebody who's good at like a beer and bolo, if they can just clear their knee line, they are in position to beer and bolo me. And so you see like Mikey Musumeci has gotten very good at leg locks, but he's also very good at beer and bowling and taking the back. So guys are very scared to try and leg lock him because as they're doing that, they are almost potentially giving up their back. So I don't think Gordon, I think Gordon avoided that position because he tried it over and over again in their first two matches and gotten his back taken both times. And I think that if Felipe had taken Gordon's back in that match, I think Gordon would have been very depressed because that would be like, dude, you knew what he was going to do. You had years to prepare and still that's being <laughs> fully big, big brothered right there. That's your big brother. You come back. You're like, I've been lifting weights. I've been working out. First thing he does, <laughs> grab your hand, start smacking. You go, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And you're like, damn it. It's not supposed to happen now. So, I, I, you know, so it's, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see though. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, at the very least, maybe we could say, like, what if Gordon knew exactly what he was doing and he was just creating intrigue and excitement for their next match? Like, he's like, OK, I'm going to carry this guy and this is all just a promo for the next match. You won't. We, and we will. Yes, that that we're going to know the truth of the matter when they face each other in ADCC. And I and I say that because you never know what's going to happen. There could be some upsets, um, but I hope to see those two guys in the finals for sure. I do too. I do too. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. That's Mind all. Mind drop to <laughs> check out this episode or to re-listen to our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic. Robles, check out Yellow Pine Investments. They make custom warehouses. And also check out Quantum Leap Digital Design to get all your website design needs. As always, I am Mo. That is Carter. And we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the mat. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.